6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Philemon. Paul's Thanksgiving is like an overture in an opera. It introduces themes to be elaborated on in the body of the letter. Paul's going to introduce seven terms in this letter. Love in verses 5, 7, 9, and 16. Prayers in verse 22. Sharing in verse 17. Partnering in verse 17. And that word is koinonos, by the way. The good in 14. Goodness in verse 14. The heart in verse 12 and 20. And refreshed. These are all, he's introducing these terms. Very skillfully handled. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus, toward all saints. So he probably heard about all of this from Epaphras. Paul is particularly glad that Philemon is so forward in showing love for all the saints because he's about to ask a further demonstration of it. Okay, so Paul is working his way up to the proposal here. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. The communication, this also is the word koinonia, or sharing. And it, 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 to demonstrate what God desires believers to perform. And we find this in a number of the other epistles. See, Paul's preparing Philemon for the request that's coming in verse 14. By acting out what God's grace has first worked in, Philemon will be drawn closer to Christ and serve to glorify him. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by the brother. The word bowels, we will use the term guts in our common vernacular. But okay. This may include the particular ministry in the time of crisis, possibly the great earthquake in 60 AD. That may be what he's alluding to here. The word brother at the end makes an effective appeal, which he is about to be called on again in the way that he receives an essence. See, the, he, because the bowels of saints were refreshed by the brother, he's alluding to some previously meritorious act. And it's just a guess that it might have been an earthquake issue earlier. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. See, Paul has been given impressive proof of Philemon's love, so he declines to invoke his authority as an apostle to command what ought to be done. See, Paul's a highly respected apostle. He could have just issued a request and Philemon would be, you know, pressured to fulfill it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He's, he's appealing to Philemon's own love to do this. So he doesn't, be, you know, therefore I, I, might be much, I, I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, which is convenient. Yet, for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ. See, See love is regarded here as a principle that demands deferential respect, indeed. And he reinforces his appeal by being an older man who is penning this letter. He's probably wearing chains while he's writing this letter, is the, is the implication here. 
And uh, they use the term uh, presbytus, which can, can, to be aged, but the word really implies an ambassador, a senior, aged spokesman or ambassador. He's nearly 60, prematurely aged, of course, by his incredible sufferings. He says, I beseech thee for my son, ooh, my son, Anesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Interesting way of speaking of this slave that he converted. Having prepared the way, Paul now comes to his request. He's, he's, he's plowed the ground. Now he's getting ready to, to nail it here. Speaks of his son, begotten in bonds. And uh, Calvin makes the remark, not by his own power, but only through the, his instrumentality. For it is not the work of any man to reshape and renew a human soul in the image of God. And it is in with this act of spiritual regeneration that he is now dealing. That's Calvin's comment on this. See, he's, he's, he's referring to Anesimus because he's now been converted. He's now a new creature in Christ as if he's born of, of, of uh, Paul. The, uh, my son Anesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Which in time past was to thee unprofitable. Play on words here. Anesima means profitable. Which in time past was to thee unprofitable. But now, profitable to thee and to me. He's making a case here. Not only is this a, an enrichment for Philemon to regain Anesimus, but he's been profitable to Paul. Paul would have preferred him to stay. And the word Anesimus, of course, means profitable, from which you begin to get the wordplay here. And... Uh, he apparently had previously rendered only grudging service before his flight. He had a bad attitude, obviously. And Paul seems to be in, indulging here in what really you'd consider playful humor. The slave that had been unprofitable to him in the past has now become profitable to both of them, is what he's trying to say here. And Philemon itself, by the way, means affectionate, or one who is kind. So, so they've, they've got the, the deck's getting stacked here on Philemon. If the slave is to live up to his name, <laughs> what about his master? Is sort of the impl implication with the wordplay here. Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. Now just treat him as if he's my own flesh and blood, is what Paul is suggesting here. And uh, this shows, his, of course, the strength of his affection for his new son of the faith, if you will, from back from verse 10. Now, can there be any question of how Philemon will treat what Paul sends to him. I mean, what's Philemon do? He's, he's got himself, you know, Paul's got him pretty well cornered. He owes it to Paul anyway, and he also owes it for a witness. Plus, it's a win-win for everybody if he, if he uh, does what Paul's uh, asking him to do. Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Paul's saying, you, you know, it's as if, Philemon, you owe me, you owe me that. And he could pay the debt you owe me by just being with me to help me as a helper. That's what, that's, that's what the underlying thought here, if you will. And uh, so, see, Onesimus has obviously changed his entire attitude. He's obviously, a dramatic change, apparently, from what he was before. He, went, he was from a, a runaway thief and a robber to now where he's, he's such that Paul would welcome him as an aide. And, uh, but that didn't alter his legal position as a slave. He's still a legal slave on the run. It didn't cancel his debt to the law. He got a debt to the law and a debt to his master. So he's still a guy that's uh, uh, on the wanted list. But it did give Onesimus a new standing before God and before God's people. And Philemon is asking to take this into consideration. Onesimus became saved. That didn't change his position in terms of the secular world there to both in terms of debt and, law and to the law. 
but it does change his attitude towards his, his posture with respect to God. Therefore, it changes his, his posture with respect to God's people. And if Philemon and his gang back there in Colossae are God's people, they have to, they got something new to deal with here now. But without thy mind would I do nothing. That, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but of willingly. See, Paul is in effect implying that he could insist, but then all he's doing is complying to Paul's request. Here's an opportunity for him to do it out of his own heart, not out of a necessity. They should benefit, not if it were out of necessity, but willingly. willingly. Okay? See, love cannot be compelled. He wants to have this done by love, not by obligation. So Paul refuses to intrude on a decision that must be Philemon's own decision. His reception of Onesimus must not even seem to be constrained. Paul's trying to set it up so it's going to be a Philemon's own initiative, so to speak. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. You lost him for a few months, but now you have him for eternity as a brother in Christ. That's the thought that's there. So instead of focusing on his desertion, Paul suggests the euphemism which Joseph used. Remember what Joseph said? You thought it was for evil, but God meant it to his brothers. You thought it was for evil when you sold me. No, God intended it for good. It had a higher purpose. And he's implying the same kind of construction here. God overruled evil with good. In the case of Joseph being sold into slavery and becoming prime minister that saved the family. Okay. And it seems, it, it, Paul's suggesting the same thing maybe here with that his brief parting uh, for, uh, was that Philemon might now enter into a whole new relationship with Onesimus that not even death would dissolve. His relationship with Onesimus will go beyond their, their human lifespan. And uh, now we can assume that Philemon and his family had witnessed to Onesimus and had prayed for him. So this may be an answer to their prayers. Who knows? He had left for Rome as a slave and he returned as a brother. Pretty impressive. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved. This is the label he's, that Paul is ascribing to Onesimus. A brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more to thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now it's a double win for Philemon in any case. So the, even the master, even the relationship of master and slave is now between the two of them, on a totally different plane because they're both in Christ. That's the thought. So Onesimus is now both Philemon's slave and his brother. He had a brother for a slave and a slave for a brother. How, how, how are them apples, huh? Now Philemon's dilemma. If he was too easy on Onesimus, it might influence the other slaves to become Christians and influence their masters. You see, it makes it fashionable. That's dangerous. If he was too hard on the man, it would affect Philemon's testimony and ministry at Colossae. So, you know, Philemon's got himself between a rock and a hard place here. Okay. Now, Onesimus may have robbed Philemon of a substantial sum. Perhaps the cost of the long journey to Rome, whatever. And Paul now offers his own credit card for restitution. Hey, whatever he owes you, put it on my account. That's gutsy. That's gutsy. It takes more than love to solve the problem. Love must pay a price. The debt must be paid. Ooh. If thou count me, therefore, a partner, 
Paul's saying to Philemon, receive him as myself. Whatever you do, if I was visiting, do for him. The word partner is coined on. See, these words are related, obviously, which means to have in common. It's also translated communion or communication or fellowship, koinonia. As Paul's fiduciary, Philemon was to receive Onesimus as Paul himself. To do otherwise is to deny the reality of the bond which makes all believers fellow members of the body of Christ. All believers are members of the body of Christ. We, we, we're to honor that. To receive means to receive into one's family circle. Imagine a slave entering his master's family. That's glib for us. That's a, that's a big deal. If he had wronged thee, O oweth thee aught, put that on my account. Wow. Now, isn't this exactly what Christ has done for us as his believers? We were slaves to sin. He's redeemed us. He paid the price. We are now his. This is the doctrine of imputation. My sins were put on his account. We call that justification. I'm justified because he paid the penalty. He was treated the way I should have been treated. See, I'm in Barabbas' shoes. He took Barabbas' place. Barabbas was guilty. Christ was innocent. They switched places. God's people are so identified with Christ that he receives us as he receives his own son. This means that God the Father receives us as he would his own son. We have no capacity to imagine what that means. We are accepted in the beloved, Paul says in Ephesians 1.6. We are now clothed with his righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5. The reality of Galatians, the whole epistle, becomes evident here in Philemon. There is neither slave nor free in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. So we get here to verse 19. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. <laughs> he reminds, by the way, you owe me your life in the first place. But that's okay. I'll pay us, you know. <laughs> I will repay it. Albeit I do not say unto thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. So just because of history here, Philemon, you owe me big time. That's okay. Whatever he owes you, I'll pay, I'll pay it. Philemon is cornered. Huh? See, Paul, it looks, you get the impression, I have written it with my own, you almost get the visualization, he takes the pen from the scribe. It's typically having a manuensis do the letters. To take it and, and, and sign it so it's in those, it takes the pen from the amanuensis or the secretary to sign this, like I'm making an IOU. And make it legally binding. See? I have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. There it is. By Paul himself. But you do get the impression that Paul doesn't expect to have it taken up. Paul owes Philemon. Philemon owes Paul far more. And Paul does not expect him to collect the lesser debt. And uh, it appears that Paul may have been the one that led Philemon to Christ. Both Philemon and Esmus had the same spiritual father, Paul, the idea. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. For us, that's a strange term, but okay. 
Yay, brother, yay. That's a confirmatory particle. Gathering up all that Paul has said on behalf of Onesimus. And then it adds a little personal plea. Yay. Everything he said up, the previous 19 verses. So since Philemon has refreshed the hearts of the saints with his deeds of love, he must not neglect this opportunity to refresh Paul's heart. See? Let me have joy of thee in the Lord. He's not going to get... <laughs> okay. Only the Lord could enable him to show such grace to the one that had wronged him. That's, the, that's also the thought here. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. And with earthly master's obedience to the master in heaven, thus assured, Paul is confident that Philemon will do even more than he says. So, some infer here that Paul is requesting Onesimus' freedom, but this isn't warranted. Paul refuses to specify how the love is to be expressed. And for no other reason, that gives Philemon the freedom to make it of his own love, not as a fulfilling a command from the apostle. Paul did not condemn slavery, though he had many words for both slaves and masters all through his epistles. He, in fact, he encouraged slaves to obtain their freedom if they could in 1 Corinthians 7. But by law abiding, but not by running away, but by law abiding mechanics. Christians are the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and their influence must be felt in a society for the glory of God. That's the, that's the main overriding thought. God used Joseph in Egypt. He used Daniel in Babylon and, and Persia. He used Esther and Nehemiah in Persia. And throughout history, believers have faithfully served the Lord in positions of leadership, both as slaves and as leaders. Joseph was both ways. Daniel was in both ways. Esther, in effect, was both ways. Interesting. Christians in the Roman Empire could not work through the political structures that we can today. See, we have a representative environment. That was not the environment there. So we need to understand the differences. And that puts a heavy weight on each of us. You see, I personally believe that we have a unique mandate in history as, as beneficiaries of the culture that we have had for two centuries. And I think we have a stewardship responsibility because the leaders in this country are our employees. And if they are despicable, if they are uh, poor choices, that's our fault. That's our situation. And I think we are going to be held accountable. We the people. Because it's a very unique, different structure that we enjoy. And it's tragic that the early years in this country, people were biblically literate. There were all different kinds of beliefs, but they at least knew their Bible. And that glue helped make it all work. It's astonishing today to realize how biblically illiterate the general population is, of course. It's even more astonishing to realize how biblically illiterate so-called Christians are. They haven't really immersed themselves. They have not really got a grasp of the Holy Scriptures. And I think that's, in today's world, inexcusable. So it's something you want to pray about. We have a responsibility. Verse 22 is Philemon, but Paul says, But with all, prepare me also a lodging. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. In other words, Philemon, I'm coming to visit to see how this all comes out. 
<laughs> Paul, in effect, I'm going to be checking up on these things. And he apparently, in this case, uh, anticipates an early release from prison. Remember, this is the first imprisonment. He plans to come and see for himself that Philemon has not disappointed his expectations, right? And uh, it's through your prayers. The word you're there is in the plural in the Greek. Where I trust that through your prayers, that's a plural group, more than, more than Philemon's. And that's why it seems to include his home church, if nothing else. Now, Paul was planning to visit Macedonia after being set free. We find that in his Philippian letter. He perhaps intended to come to Colossae via Macedonia. According to Clement in 95 AD, he suggests that he fulfilled his long-cherished ambition before he was again arrested and brought back to Rome to suffer the death at the hands of Nero about 67 AD. So, so that's, that's at least the church perspective. So he concludes there, salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. And Epaphras is Epaphroditus, a contraction, very, that's a very common name in that period. And, uh, but he must not be confounded with the messenger of the Philippian community. Apparently there's two Epaphrases among scholars that have studied this. And he was with Paul during part of his first Roman imprisonment, joining Paul's greetings to Philemon. Epaphras was a missionary by whose instrumentality the Colossians had been converted to Christianity, and probably the other churches of Lycus had been founded by him. That's all conjectures of scholars. Then we have Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. These five fellow laborers are sending their greetings along this. Now, see, it's 11 years after Mark's breach with Paul and the Paul and Barnabas debate back there. It's two years later he tells Timothy to bring Mark with him. So that breach has been healed by then. Aristarchus is of Thessalonica, Paul's companion on his third missionary tour. Luke, of course, remains with Paul until the end. That's Lucas there. He wrote the two background documents that precede Paul's appeal to Rome that we know as the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, called Luke 1, Volume 1 and Volume 2, if you will. Demas, regarding a late, there was a later, Demas later deserts, by the way. Calvin suggests, quote, if one of Paul's assistants became weary and discouraged and was afterwards drawn away by the vanity of the world, um, let none of us rely too much on our own zeal, lasting even one year, but remembering how much of the journey still lies ahead, let's ask God for steadfastness. Calvin saying, let's not be too hard on Demas. He just, he, he burnt out. The name of the game is finishing well. It's really disturbing to many to see how many, how many lives have been exemplary for so many, many, many years. And yet near the end, um, their, their, their report, gar, report card gets clouded with um, less than might have been. And uh, it's in all the studies of executives in the corporate world. Successful executives, there's, if they study, of course, this has been studied like mad, executives and entrepreneurs. The attributes to success are not what you would think. It isn't education. There are many people with very poor education that become very successful executives. It's many things that it's not. The, the, two, the, thing, the primary attribute for success is steadfastness, persistence in the executive world, and I think also in the Christian walk. It's a key ingredient to success is staying the course all the way. Finishing well is the mandate we have. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit. Amen. So after addressing Philemon in the singular in verse 4, 
Paul reverts again to the plural your as he prays for Christ's grace may rest on the entire community who will hear the letter read as they meet for worship in, in verse 4 and verse 2. And Paul's word grace is a fitting conclusion to his trademark in every epistle. He always concludes with the word grace. This is written from Rome to Philemon by Onesimus, a servant. Summary of values here. Personal value, the light on Paul's character. We get an insight into him. The ethical value, the focus on what is right. The providential value, God is behind and above all events. God's hand is on Onesimus here. The practical value, the application of highest principles to the most common affairs. Simple little affair, but applying the proper values here. The evangelical value, encouragement to seek and to save the lowest. Encouragement to seek and to save the lowest. The social value, the presentation of the relationship of Christianity to slavery and the unchristian institutions. The spiritual value, the analogy between it and the gospel. What do I mean by that? We are all anesimuses. That was Martin Luther's, Martin Luther's perspective. You and I are Nesmus. We are slaves to sin. We've tried to run away. We can't. But we're free in Christ. He's paid the price. We're all Nesmuses. This is a beautiful picture of what God has done for each of us in Christ Jesus. The word grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It was Christ who says on our behalf, charge that to my account. Receive them as you would receive me, he says to the Father in John 7, in, in, the, in the famous, what really should be called the Lord's Prayer, John 17. Not the disciples' prayer, we teach them to pray, no, the, the John 17. So there we are. Now your next step, of course, is to just figure out what is your next book to study and uh, go at it prayerfully. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Philemon. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, when we begin a new series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.